Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. Welcome to Isaac's Autism Well podcast. Thanks for joining us. I have David again with me and my husband, John. And today our podcast topic is how we have taught our kids to be self-advocates. Now, David, your daughter has language and can communicate. My son, Caleb, has language and communicate. But John, your perspective with your son, Cooper, is different because he doesn't have what we would consider functional language, but he still does advocate for himself. But the hard part, and maybe we'll start with you first, is that because he doesn't have a lot of language, people are more dismissive when hit with him when he's trying to express his preferences or he's trying to be an angsty teen and do some of those things. So it's very easy, I think, for people to overlook that he is actually, in fact, advocating for himself. But for some reason, it's just diminished because he has a lower function of ability. So you want to just kind of talk about ways that Cooper self-advocates. So I think a lot of times, and Holly knows this, he has preferences and we will pose a situation or uh, something we want to do or we want him to do. And, and a lot of times he does have preferences. And I think sometimes he has to, uh, his way of doing it is to repeat the question you had and he'll say, preface it with no. Mm-hmm. For instance, an example, hey, it's Cooper, it's time to take a shower. And then he'll say, no, not to, or no, take a shower. That's how he says. Or if I say, hey, dinner is spaghetti and meatballs, he'll say, no spaghetti and meatballs. Because that's him specifying that his preference is not to have that. Right. But the hard part is, again, because of his functionality, it's very tempting just to be like, oh, it's, guess what? It's spaghetti and meatball night. Or it's time to take a shower. And he'll put no in front of the statement. And what we've been trying to really like transition to you is that, okay, Cooper, do you want to go ahead and take your shower now? Or do you want to take your shower after we eat dinner? That's him advocating for kind of what his preference. He's still in the end going to be taking a shower. But it's giving him some autonomy of kind of having a, a timeline of and advocating for himself. Like, I want to do it after dinner. Okay, that's cool. Let's do that. You know what I'm saying? So well, it takes time for him to process what that involves, I think, sometimes. So that's why he does that. And what we've gotten to now, a lot of times, let's say in 10 minutes, Cooper can take a shower in 10 minutes, and then he'll sit and he'll, he does, he'll protest that when 10 minutes is up, I show him the timer, and it's like... And we do a countdown. Okay, remember, yeah. shower's in five minutes. Okay, remember, shower's in three minutes. And sometimes it's not a choice, and we have to say, sorry, Cooper, this is not a choice. Like, it's, you know, time to... It's time for therapy, because your behavior tech is here. Like, no behavior tech, no therapy. And it's not a choice. And then we'll say, sorry, Cooper, it's not a choice. And then he'll start shouting and walking around the the house saying, not a choice, not a choice, not a choice. But I find that like for him, something as simple as being able to give him some autonomy and some choice and control over what his routine and schedule likes during the day is him advocating. So as we're building his schedule for the day, say, okay, so we usually try to do it the night before. So tomorrow we're going to wake up, we're going to eat breakfast. And again, in breakfast, it's like, do you want toast or do you want bacon and eggs? And then he has, again, a choice. It's very easy to just, because he doesn't have a lot of language to be able to express what he wants, we just serve him, here's what you get, and you don't throw a fit. And so, like with anyone, he wants to have, he advocates in smaller things. And so then it's like, okay, so then 
Again, we're doing this the night before. Okay, so do you want to go to the gym in the morning or do you want to go to the gym in the afternoon? Because he likes to go to the gym. We walk on the treadmill. We do some of the machines and stuff. Sometimes we get in the water and then let him decide where that's going to be. And sometimes he says, no gym. Okay, you don't want to go to the gym today. You want to go for a walk instead. So that's how we give him some opportunity to advocate for what his preferences are. Or we lever some of the things that he likes to do with things that we he need doesn't him to do. want to do. Yeah, and that's generally, he'll, he'll remind you. If it's something he wants to do, he'll remind you. We're like going to Dan's house or whatever. If I'm out mm -hmm. running around, he wants to see the old Dodge truck the one day. I took him to a buddy of mine's house who had bought my old truck. Showed him the truck for five minutes. He was completely happy. And yeah, but the preface to that, though, is that he was great. Like, Friday night, he was great, but he kept talking about Dad's old yeah. silver truck. Dad's old silver truck. Dad's old silver truck. Brad has Dad's old right. silver truck. Yep, Dad has Dad's old silver truck. All night long. Then Saturday, again, here's our routine, but he's still talking about Dad's silver truck. Well, by Saturday night, he started having, like, self-injurious meltdowns. And nothing, again, we're trying to control the environment, all the things, and then... That's when we said, Cooper, are you wanting to go visit dad's old silver truck? Would you like dad to text Brad to see if tomorrow we can come visit the dad's silver truck? And then he starts repeating dad's silver truck, text, text Brad, and, and he's calming down. Yeah. And so then it's like, okay, so let's have dad text, but he may, if he's not, maybe the silver truck isn't in Spokane. Turns out it was. And so we just said, Brad, we don't need you to come out of your house. We will be in your driveway for five minutes. If we won't even open the doors. He just needs to see it. And it was a five minute kind of take it a little detour. We were there on the premises for five minutes and it was all good. But again, he doesn't have functional language and why that was important to it, we don't know. But it consumed his whole world from Friday to Sunday. But again, started having major meltdowns until we built that into his schedule. And what well, he has no concept of time, a lot of times you'll tell him, yeah, we'll do that this weekend. It needs to be on a definite yeah. time. And that's one thing I've gotten better about is, is making that predictable so he knows when to expect it. So that yeah. helps. Yeah, so. and that schedule definitely helps. With Caleb, he also has trouble with the time concept. And so a way that we've taught him to self-advocate, people are very vague and you don't realize, and I'm vague at moments too, and, but that self-advocacy is, uh, mom, when you say a couple, what does that mean exa exactly? Because that word used to get him really spun up because the couple or a few, and it's like he didn't know what that was. And he would just get spun up and super anxious because he doesn't know what does that mean. So now he will say, mom, when you say a, a few, like, what does that mean? And so then it's like, oh, I'm glad that you asked. And so that's a thing too, is reinforcing, oh, Caleb, you know what? I am so glad that you asked me that question because I didn't think about the fact that that was vague. So what I meant by that was in a few hours, I would say that's three or it could be more, but in this case, I'm gonna say it's gonna happen between three o'clock and four o'clock. It could change because, and then I explain why. So that's where that teaching him how to self-add, I'm giving him the positive reinforcement. Oh, I'm so glad that you asked me to clarify that because again, it's not, I can't be annoyed about it. He doesn't understand what it means. And so those are things where we try to help him be comfortable and self. And it's like, he's really good with us and saying, well, I don't understand what you mean by that. And then we explain, but then taking that into the world, are you going to be comfortable asking your teacher? Because again, we were just talking about in an outtake we recorded prior to this, we were having a little chit chat that, um, he's becoming very self-conscious because he's 14 years old and puberty's happening and it's just natural to be very self-conscious. 
but he's really struggling and so just doesn't want to bring any extra attention to himself. So he's not asking, he's not advocating for himself, just clarifying what do you mean by whatever, whatever, because he just wants to be invisible at school. But by being invisible, then he's not using his advocacy skill and his needs are not being met or there's a lot of misunderstandings or he doesn't understand, but he won't admit that he doesn't understand because he doesn't want to ask clarifying questions. And I don't know how to get past that. And I don't know, David, you're joining me and your daughter is the same age. They do exist in the same spaces when they're together. I would not say exactly that they're friends, but they get along in the sense they're very quiet and independent. So they're actually two kids that get along pretty well in the clubhouse because he does his thing, she does her thing. So I'm not saying they're going to get married any day, but maybe. You never know. Yeah, she's already got a candidate. <laughs> um, He's not So lying. Morgan, just to recap, now 14 years old in middle school. It was interesting, like the question that he asked you is advocacy. The one yeah. that you just mentioned, like, I need clarification that that is a huge advocacy that you don't even think about. Just kind of recapping some of these you talked about. The shower. Thank goodness somewhere in middle school, I mean, self-consciousness could be something that's a foothold and something positive. Somewhere along the way now, she has realized like, a shower is going to benefit me. I don't know where she got it because for the begging and pleading and all the things we had, all of a sudden she's a very consistent participant in showers. Timing wise, though, is never convenient, but she's determined that her shower comes usually at 10 at night when on a school night. Yeah, that's when, always what happens in our it, house too. Like these trade-offs you made, we prefer you be in bed, but the fact that this is your comfort zone as far as your shower is you advocating for yourself. So fine. If this is when hygiene is going to come into play and this is the most convenient time for hygiene, it's particularly frustrating when in, in all the painstaking effort that we get to have the child advocate for themselves, because as you had just mentioned, not being able to put to words exactly what this means and having to really take days and days and days and draw it out. We had the situation I've mentioned recently with a specific teacher at her, the middle school that just didn't get Morgan, didn't uh, really, as we mentioned, turns out didn't have the IEP. So there was a situation where Morgan actually advocated for herself and it was completely shut down unknowingly, maybe unintentionally, but it's just so frustrating that when your child accomplishes something, it's not received in the way you'd hope. She had actually been experiencing when she went to class, another class member in front of her that was kicking her desk and taking her things. And for Morgan, that's what that class now represents every time she walks in. She finally went up and told the teacher, and the teacher said, well, you just need to work this out for yourself. Now, um, under a normal circumstance for a typical child in a middle school, that's the type of thing, because that's the type of middle school behavior you're gonna encounter. And for myself, I would have advocated for myself. For Morgan, she has no defense against that. So she sought the one person that uh, potentially could help in that situation. And, and they let her down. Not only let her down, just discourage like, okay, so advocacy may not work. Yeah. Which is just taking a step back. And so there's those frustrating scenarios. And so you, we had to reinforce her. You absolutely did the right thing. Yeah. In your, and the way that scenario played out, this is all we can ask you to do. Yeah. And you did it. The fact that it wasn't received well shouldn't you discourage shouldn't discourage you from doing it again but yeah. then how do you convince them considering that was their experience and that's what we actually we just got back from teaching a paramedic school on this topic part of the problem that first responders have is that you're coming on scene and all if all that they've had is bad experiences and traumatic experience with first responders because that's all they know how are you ever going to get to a place where 
they're not afraid of you and they do trust you and they're going to work with you because once it's negative, we have the negative perception is what is in the forefront of their mind. And then it takes for that one negative situation where they practiced advocacy and it failed, it will take probably 20 or 30, maybe even 50 instances of positive situations where it's well received and they receive the support that they need. But will they get that? Will they get 30 consistent reinforcers of thank you so much for advocating for yourself because all it takes is one more time where it's not received and now we're kind of back to the this is this is never going to work i was going to go back and tell you a funny story about your your hygiene so just a little side note we had mine or somebody else's well yes your your hygiene is amazing (laughs) your daughter's hygiene and now she's taking showers for however that worked like wonderful unfortunately at our house it was and i actually have to talk about to this to the neurotypical boys too about hygiene and deodorant but that's the thing is i'm just very blunt with them and i have had to tell them you know what here's the thing when you have body odor People are thinking of your private parts. And when was the last time you watched them? Do you want people thinking about your dirty armpits and your dirty high knees and your dirty like private parts? No. So if you take a shower and put on deodorant, no one will ever be thinking about your dirty body parts. And that was enough for Caleb to be like, I don't want anybody thinking about my armpits. And now he uses his deodorant. (coughs) We're still having trouble with one of the neurotypical ones where it's like, I'm smelling your armpits. That means I'm thinking about your dirty body parts. Well, you're just my mom. I don't care. But other people are thinking about it. <coughs> That's going to take an object of his desire to tell him at some point. Exactly. Yeah. He has a girlfriend. And I'm like, your girlfriend isn't repulsed by your dirty armpits? No. <coughs> yeah. Keep that one because I'm telling you what. She doesn't care. Yeah. We're, John's shaking his head. Like, the yeah. Anyway. So. What other ways, like, I don't know, John, like you work in first responder world and the hard part about first responder world is that not only, sometimes you're lucky enough to have a parent or caregiver that's there that can provide the advocacy and say, this is what needs to happen to have this person be successful. But as John, that's not always the case. You end up arriving on scene and you don't have a parent or caregiver there that's able to give information. Have you ever had situations where you've had some luck with people that are affected by autism or other disabilities that can advocate, and what did it look like? So uh, I had a fire that was uh, started on the South Hill. Uh, A young gentleman who is nonverbal, probably less functioning even than Cooper, had started the fire. This is why fire safety education is important. I'm gonna just ding, make a little plug for come to the Isaacs Fire Safety Learning Center. He took a lighter that his aunt had, and his mom generally were staying out of out of town. He was taking the lighter and running it on the couch cushion. Because it made sparks. Yeah, because he liked the sparks. And and unfortunately, what he was doing, I was depressing the butane valve on the thing and saturated the couch cushion, and woof, there goes the couch, right? Um, So after later on, after the fire had been going to bed, his mom came back. She just went to the store. Now his grandma was watching him. His grandma was in a wheelchair, which complicated things a bit as well. But the the mom came and she said, hey, uh, I said, she says, just ask him. I was asking questions about what had happened, which what her understanding was. And she was just asking. And I said, what does that look like? And she says, he uses a letter board. So he has this ability to point at letters. And I wrote down the letters he was doing. This kid was very articulate and admitted exactly why he did it and what had happened. And all the details and all the details so here's this kid and now you know come to find out that the mom takes him all over the place to show that he's able to advocate through this medium right that he can give his preferences he's very articulate he 
described everything to a T. And in my world, I a lot of times I'll get people that are trying to deceive me about how something started or you know, why the circumstances of the fire occurred. Uh, and this kid was telling me everything that I knew looking at the, the scene and then processing the scene like I do, using my 16 disciplines to go through it. And this kiddo, he advocated completely, told me exactly what happened, why he did it. A lot of people, they feel like, uh, with fires that are accidental, they feel like that by admitting that they did something accidentally, it's like that it can be misconstrued. In my world, it's not there. And there to see if a fire was criminal in nature, did someone do it intentionally? Did they leave the pot of oil on the stove knowing that if they left it on the stove, it was gonna catch it on fire? I mean, that, that's if that happens, right? So in this way, it opened my eyes because now I see that there's other mediums these, some of these kiddos can advocate for themselves in. So I ask now if I have a kid that's affected, does this kid use an alternative communication method, right? And that's mm -hmm. something that the mom in that instance had to point me in the direction of allowing this kid to, to essentially tell the story and really advocate for what happened. So that was something that I really, it opened my eyes a lot. I mean, it, like I said, this kid was completely nonverbal. Um, he was a lot of stemming behaviors. Eye contact was minimal. You know, he, the things that we see with our lower functioning kiddos. And he was able to articulate this the story really, which was very enlightening for me. I mean, I, and I've been around this population, well, for Cooper's whole life, of course, but having been involved in the Isaac Foundation, I get to see the, the smattering of the spectrum, right? And what's amazing to me is it's really opened my eyes and allowed me to essentially allow these folks to, to advocate for themselves and communicate. And that's been a huge, huge help. And that's one of the reasons Holly and I, like she mentioned, we were teaching a paramedic class and we kind of give them the knowledge that we've gained in those situations to allow these folks to advocate for themselves and tell them, does your tummy hurt, does this, does that, you know, we've even taken iPads and had some of the kiddos that use the, the Proloquo, which is a program on an app on an iPad or a, a tablet to, to communicate with us directly. Yeah. So. One of the things I even tell, I mean, it, I work with group homes to train staff on how to work with their kids. I teach, we teach obviously fire service, um, EMTs, police, but one of the things that's actually on our phone, when we talk about how are you feeling, that's a really hard thing I think for our kids to really understand. So one of the things that I use is just emojis on your phone, the bitmojis or just the regular emojis, because again, the kids can start identifying what those emojis represent. So when I ask, how do you feel? If you can't put it into words, like, how are you feeling right now, Caleb or Morgan? And then Caleb's like, this is how I'm feeling. And he'll give me the poop emoji. Oh, all right. That's how I, that's the like F the world sort of a place where you're just, when I'm seeing the poop emoji, I get it. Yeah, right. But also is, are you like scared with the big eyes or are you angry where it's the red face? You know what I'm saying? Because those are two different emotion, emotions and I can help you with that. And that's even self-advocating of this is how I'm feeling right now. Because again, I might be thinking that you're mad, but really you're scared or you're surprised or the brain blowing off. Okay, that's actually helps me to understand where you're at. But again, if they don't, they're at a place where they're frustrated. Everybody has a phone and the emojis are all on there. So you could be pulling it out. And again, it's that. I think it also, when you have the layperson, neurotypicals saying, how are you feeling right now? Like here, let me pull up the emojis. You pull, you show me the emoji that you feel like you're feeling right now because that's gonna help me 
know how you're feeling like that then you're like oh i'm a safe person and okay like i will tr- be trust you to advocate what's going on and we've had a, a, another young lady in the clubhouse that she gets overwhelmed and we know kind of what she does when she's starting to get overwhelmed but she has her parents have done a really nice job like because she does have language of saying i just need to be alone or i just need people to get away from me fantastic and we're going to honor that because she has said, we just need people, to, hey, would we mind everybody take three steps away because this person is saying they just need a little bit of downtime and it needs a bigger bubble. It's not that hard, but you really, again, like what you're saying, David, is we have to positively reinforce that by saying that your words matter to me and we're going to make this happen if it's in our ability or what I may not be able to do that, but here's what would this work for the short term. Well, and even in the hospital, I don't know if they did it with you, but... They have a little scale with the smiley face. And the, <laughs> put it in front of you. That's the thing, right? So that's... Dave, come on, David. Come give us the recap of the... We know that Dave... Right when COVID, the whole world shut down, David was on a business trip. Come on, David. Tell us the story. Well, the, the irony, it's... This is the two-year anniversary. This is it really? Fourteenth, twenty twenty. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So oh, they're talking tell about the, the pain threshold images that they give you at the hospital to tell you whether you need the tour at all hit or not. <laughs> and yes, From yes, one I to do. Ten, um, <laughs> at this point, uh, two years ago, mine was a nine, just because any. Want to be a sissy and say a ten? What was that? Because that had to have been the worst experience, the worst pain you have ever you experienced know, in your life. I would imagine at the same time. I mean, I think a ten would actually make me unconscious. That's just me. Oh, okay. I, I, I okay. Probably, if I'm not answering, that's a ten. Okay. Uh, the short story is on a hike, a rogue boulder dis- dislodged and crushed both my legs, breaking my right femur and uh, sending me to the hospital in a helicopter. Right as the whole world was shutting down due to COVID. But as you said, yeah, if uh, at that point, post-surgery and everything, and just to monitor the meds to make sure which pain med I needed and what doses they'd give me the one to 10 scale of pain, I'd say nine to give me Toradol immediately. Was it two? <laughs> uh, wouldn't recommend it long-term, but in the short term, it was wonderful. Oh, darn, you, you totally disrupted my train of thought. Oh, I'm so sorry, darn so it. sorry. On the subject at hand, so you'll have to come back to me, sorry. Oh, no problem. Yeah. Well, again, the whole point, I guess, that we're, I'm trying to get, the point I would like parents to take from this episode is that we really have to be conscious of what is self-advocacy, and it looks different when you have different levels of functions and abilities, different levels of communication, and really, again, when we can, trying to honor that advocacy, because another podcast that is actually coming up, and I'm not sure if this one's going to come out after that or before that, um, probably before, but one of the podcasts that we're going to be releasing is a person that works in the world of of sexual abuse and prevention, working specifically with individuals with disabilities. And again, one of the struggles that I have is is that, again, if we need to teach our kiddos how to self-advocate, we have to be willing to honor what they're advocating for. And again, some things are not a choice, and we've talked about that with Cooper, but we want to try and honor their voice of self-advocacy because here's what happens is that when we just ignore it, and then they get in a situation where someone's pressuring them to do something that they're not comfortable doing or now all of a sudden it's that that voice of they're they're used to their voice not being heard or it's somehow diminished and then they don't have the power like the word no the word no is it's a hard because what's one of the first words that kids learn growing Ugh. like toddlers no no and it's hard because in other contexts, the word no should be honored, right? And when we talk about sexual abuse and being intimate partner violence, what no means no. We use that for my teenagers. I use the T analogy. Like I, when my boys started getting to be teenagers and they start being interested in girls, I wanted it to be very clear. 
what no means. You know what I'm saying? And so they use the tea. There's a tea video. Have you watched it? No. It's kind of a British humor where it's like if somebody offer you, offers you tea, the person may say, yes, I want the tea. And so you make them the tea, a euphemism for hanky panky. And then all of a sudden after you bring them the tea, they say, oh, no, I've changed my mind. I don't want the tea. Like, don't try and force them to drink the tea. And the point, and then there's an example of them trying to force the tea on the person. Maybe the person takes a sip of the tea and says, hmm, yeah, no, I don't want this tea anymore. You can't continue to force feed the tea to the person. You know what I mean? So it was like this whole tea analogy of like, it's a euphemism for hanky panky. But I really think that it's important to have explicit examples of now we're trading, but that's self-advocacy as well. And again, if we want them to have the strength to advocate in really severe situations where it's like life or death or, again, not being violated in some way, we need to be encouraging and honoring their advocacy in other areas. And so, again, for lower functioning lower language ability individuals like it looks different and so again providing opportunities to give choices so that that way again their voice is being heard and again we're going to take a shower it's the question are we going to do it like before dinner after dinner you know what i'm saying like it's a choice i can live with but again that's how in individuals that are more profoundly impacted we're trying to give them advocacy it looks a little different when you have a person that has language and ability david did your thought come back to you not really, but I had a new thought. Oh, good. It's almost like a non-linear discussion because you elevated it to a very, very serious issue. But I mean, I say if you're just starting down this road, it's really, you have to look for the clues as to what your child is saying and what they mean. And it's just a learned practice. For instance, Morgan would come home from school and she hadn't eaten any of her lunch. And we, I mean, with the limitations as to the things that she would eat, we had it dialed in as to what it is and this what it is. Everything like, this is everything that she's going to love. Yeah. Why wouldn't you possibly eat this at home? Why don't you eat this at school? And continuing to really kind of probe and probe and probe. And finally, it, she found her voice and said it was the sensory issues of the cafeteria. <gasps> we have that same one. Yeah, yeah, High five. Exactly. High five. In there, yeah. It would be such chaos and so... and. There was such a limited time and they had a certain amount of time frame they were expected to eat. Well, if you've ever seen Morgan eat anything, it's, I mean, she never does. It's very deliberate. It's very slow. And so from the time period that she sat down, finally got herself arranged, finally got the food in front of her, it was almost time to wrap up mm-hmm. and get out. Mm-hmm. So that became a stressful situation. So the way to eliminate that is that, well, I, my first thought is, I guess I should just shouldn't eat so that I'm not in this very uncomfortable scenario of not having finished and having to gather things up and get back. Once you kind of clue into that situation, then you can advocate on their behalf or they can advocate and say, look, this is the scenario, this is what's going on, what can we do? Mm-hmm. It's seemingly a little thing, but for anybody who's on the spectrum, a disruption like that, all of a sudden they go without food. So what's the chain of events? Things that happen because they're not getting properly nourished of the oh. various things that they don't want to eat and only the few things you find, you finally found it and now they're not eating because of this. And yeah, it sets off this whole chain of events that we don't, we wouldn't think about otherwise. 100%. We were finding that Caleb, Caleb is not a defiant or non-compliant kiddo, but in the afternoon he was starting to have like non-compliance or he was like not wanting to engage in certain things and he was getting angry. And it was just like, what in the heck is happening? And that's exactly what we find. When you start tracing back 
what led up to it, it was because he wasn't eating lunch and he got to that. He didn't want to be rushed. He didn't want to be in the middle of it. And he was getting severe anxiety about just like that pressure of having to get through lunch in that time that he just was like, forget it. I'm not going to do it. And the sensory overwhelm. Everybody brings things that he may not like, the smells, the noise, all the stuff. And it just became really hard. So he would be, when he would go into pulled out for resource, like for his resource, math or English, I was like, can you please give him a snack? Because it's smaller group, he would eat in that. I know that this is not normal, but if you give him a snack, he needs to eat some food. Otherwise, you're going to get the behaviors. But again, it was the whole, what is happening here? And now he'll tell you, I'm hungry. The problem that we have in middle school, too, is because of COVID, when they finally did go back to school, they were splitting the kids up. So half the kids had to eat in the gym, and then half the kids would eat in the cafeteria. Sounds pretty good, right? Except for he was assigned to the gym, and it's much more echoey in there than in the cafeteria. And so it was just really, that was worse than advocating for being in the cafeteria because it wasn't so loud in there. <sighs> All the things we have to advocate for. Yeah, and I mean, and getting them to self identify like, Oh, this is what's happening. Like they don't really have that cognitive. Oh, I might be acting like a real a-hole right now because I didn't eat lunch and I'm really hungry. Like they don't, their brain's not queuing into the cause and effect. And it's interesting in like thinking where you are 10 years, uh, 10 years ago, as opposed to now. I mean, I think all of us, it, it sounds superficial when I say it, but we want to have neurotypical kids that are a cell in so many different areas. We don't, the last thing we want, I don't want our kid to be different. Yeah. I don't and want to label. Yeah. Labels are toxic. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. And like another thing Morgan had to overcome, but it ends up being a benefit. You worry about perception. Like. It was early on going to the arena. She loved the events at the arena, but the trauma of going to the bathroom, what's wrong with the bathroom? They have those automatic toilets. I hate those damn things. They engage while you're sitting on there. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying it's about your typical individual as opposed to one that's on the spectrum. And so we would, God, the procedure of going into a bathroom had to be the family bathroom. I had to hold my hand over, over the, the sensor. sensor. Yes. It's down. She could do her business and uh, she was cleanly off the toilet. If I was listening to this podcast, David, I would be sitting in my car yelling, yes, yes, I've totally done that. Way well, to go, David. You know, I Good mean, dad of the year. she goes to a school that has the automatic toilet. Yeah. And of course, is she not going to go to the bathroom the entire day? So we started off with noise canceling headphones for her to go to the bathroom. Talk about your kids sticking out as mm -hmm. different. But at the same time, I'm hoping as you go down this process and they, these are the ways advocating for them or them advocating for themselves you just got to remove i mean it's a process of removing the shame over anything yeah. and lord now they're your child and you're going to fight tooth and nail as papa bear for anything but the upshot of that is all of a sudden she realized this isn't something that's going to swallow me this isn't a monster mm -hmm. that's going to remove me from take me to the depths of the earth and she doesn't need that type of thing anymore yeah because we went through the process of allowing her to go through that kind of become familiar with it and certain things that seem like inconsequential or feel like total victories. Yeah. Well, I'm still working on Caleb because he's getting better at advocating for himself for small things. Like, for instance, we talked to the school and we said Caleb's going to be eating his lunch in the cafeteria. I don't care about how the kids were divided. I don't care that he doesn't eat hot lunch and that's where the hot lunch kids are supposed to be eating. I don't care about any of that. We're individualized in the education program. So Caleb will be eating in the cafeteria. The problem is now you have new people coming in because of COVID and substitutes. And they're like, hey, kid, you're not eating hot lunch. You go to the gym. He has finally stood up 
not in the fact that like, oh, you're wrong. I am supposed to be here. And then instead he'll say, can you go talk to Mrs. Soder? And Mrs. Soder will tell you, will explain. And then no, go to the gym. I really need you to talk to Mrs. Soder. Mrs. Soder understands. And then what that means is then they, this person says, we have this Caleb in the cafeteria and he says that we have to call you. And she's like, oh yeah, his IEP says that he is to eat in the cafeteria because he has auditory processing issues and that's where he is to sit. Oh, okay. So he is doing some of those things. He's not giving the full story, but at least there's that much. But where we're struggling is, is that Caleb has other accommodations that he can use, which is leaving class early to go to his next class so he doesn't have to be in the hallways with all of the other students. But because he doesn't want to stand out and all of the social elements, he's like, no, if that's okay. But it is really hard. So it's like, on one hand, I'm like, okay, well, then if it's dysregulating and upsetting to you, then that's your choice. You're not advocating for yourself. And there's other things. It's funny. He'll use the one where my IEP says that I get more time for this assignment. But then he won't advocate for himself that I'm also allowed to use headphones because it's too loud in here. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like he'll use the ones that actually find it, that are advantageous to him because I am not getting my homework done on time. But then when it's something where he's really struggling to focus and he could use his headphones, he's not going to advocate to pull those out. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like... That just makes him more typical when you think Right? About, you That's know, exactly the, the that conversation <laughs> that we yeah. were saying is, frankly, it pisses me off because he knows that he has that strategy. But on the other hand too, it's like kind of neurotypical. Yeah, it's kind of cutting on his part. I know. advantage of the ones that benefit me, the other ones, eh, convenient, convenient omission. Correct. So yeah. then it's like, okay, I'm letting this one go. <laughs> I'm just gonna let it go. If he's not, if he's gonna just then flail because he doesn't wanna use the accommodation, well then that's again, a personal choice, natural consequence, I guess they say. We're going to wrap this up with some final thoughts. John, do you have any final thoughts about how to teach and support kids in self-advocacy? Well, I think we're doing it, right? We're educating the first responders. That's one of the things that I really have passion for is so that we can have the, our first responders be able to see when a child is advocating for themselves, regardless of their functioning ability, right? And they ask the buzzwords or they have the ability to say, hey, does this child use a communication device. Yeah, they look deeper as look opposed to, yeah. yeah, they, they mm -hmm. try to find a medium in which they can allow the child to advocate for themselves and select preferences. And it works better because if we have to do an IV or something else, it allows us the ability to explain that, right? So they can see that there's a benefit to it. So that's one of the things that I really, the education that we do with the first responders, I feel that's a good start mm -hmm. um, because just like you said, most kids experience with first responders is, isn't positive. Yeah. It's not. So we want to try and make that as, as positive as possible and allow these folks to give their preferences, advocate for themselves and, and explain their side of things. Yeah. My final thought would be the, you know, be paying attention to the little ways our kids are advocating and try and reinforce those in a positive way as often as you can. Again, you can't give them the moon. I mean, self-advocacy is no, I'm not going to clean my room. You know, that's a, Again, you can find strategies, but I also think to myself sometimes like, okay, what do I want to die on this hill? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I think the only way that they get more comfortable with it is that we need to positively reinforce that. And again, for our kids that are more challenged like Cooper, we're looking for giving him choices. They're choices I can live with, but... I'm trying to get into a medium where he can express yeah. himself and yeah. understand what that looks like. Yeah. 
David, what would be your final thought? Yeah, just sharing another recent experience uh, since you brought up IVs. Because there's just, for developmentally, her mouth wasn't coming along quick enough for the dentist and everything. Morgan, two weeks ago, had to have eight teeth removed, including her wisdom teeth, which actually will serve as an advantage that she's younger. Yes. But um, everything involved in that procedure, and usually at some point when I'm assisting or accompanying her in one of those things, I will say for any to cover any kind of behavioral issue that might be involved with all the scary stuff. By the way, she's on the spectrum, she has autism. For whatever reason, I decided this time, I'm gonna just let this play out without any sort of explanation. Um, she's gonna bring her normal quirkiness to the situation and say the funny things that she doesn't realize are so funny when she says them. But in the process of getting her set up and everything else, and they're all the, all the various questions and everything, they're just say, oh, by the way, I have autism. <gasps> wow. <gasps> and to me, that opens the door to like anybody in the room who has experience with somebody, a kid on the spectrum who has to do something like put a needle on an IV in somebody's arm. And it's already traumatic enough for a child, much less one with sensory issues. She's now let at least somebody know that this is something else you're going to be dealing with. So, oh, I know. How it was, positive. It was very cool. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm so glad that you shared that. That just gives me goosebumps. Oh, I love that. Because that's again, in first responder world, we tell people, Sometimes they don't, so you don't have the benefit of a parent or caregiver there, and they don't necessarily have that presence of mind to tell you. And so that's why we teach them about, I, I call it developing their super sleuth skills. But that's so awesome that she did. Yeah, no, she used to get upset when I used the term. I mean, just yeah. a couple of years ago, and like, hey, you've let the kid out of the bag. <laughs> And now it's something that she uses informational purposes and yeah. something for the benefit of others. Exactly. You don't have to necessarily share it with your peers. Hey, play date or hey, we're going, we're roller skating. And by the way, did you know I'm, I have autism? But in a situation like that where you're working in a medical situation or a teacher, what good valuable information that is. So hmm, wonderful. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. I appreciate you guys listening and I appreciate you guys being guests and we'll catch you next time. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.